official soccer podcast. My name is Bori and I'm joined by Manny and Justin. Uh, we're recording it on December 7th, uh, which means this is the first rest day of the World Cup. Uh, I was looking at some stats, 56 games played over the span of 17 days. For me, that's like crazy to think about. Um, but no, here we have it. We are, we've gone past the round of 16 and now we are in the quarterfinals. So in this episode, what we're going to do is go over the uh, the next four games that will happen this weekend and then give our thoughts, predictions, and maybe even refer to uh, the previous rounds. Um, that said, uh, welcome, welcome, Justin and Manny. How, how's, uh, how's your watching of the World Cup been, Manny? Uh, it's been bittersweet, to be honest, because that was one of the... I guess on this podcast and amongst, um, you know, all my friends and folks that uh, watched the beautiful game was amongst one of the strongest, uh, I guess, that had criticisms for this World Cup and everything surrounding around it. But, you know, off the pitch and everything that was going on. But, man, it's really hard not to watch, to be honest. And. I'll be the first to admit that, you know, with the holidays rolling around and it's 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 interesting the, the concept of having this, you know, of of watching, you know, the, the the best nations go at it, the best athletes go at it, right? Every four years, because yes, on some levels you you know, politics aside and everything behind the scenes of how this World Cup happened, you have to respect that for a lot of these players. This is a lifelong goal for them, right? They train for this moment. They train every four years to try to represent their nation. And I guess there's no greater privilege than to step onto the pitch and, you know, play for your country. So, you know, sentiment aside, I guess, for how this World Cup happened, I'm here watching it. I'm watching all the games. I'm watching what's going on. And I can't help but think that um you know this is probably one of the most memorable world cups in terms of the results and the upsets that have occurred thus far and just the history that has been made for certain nations getting this far in the tournament or just surprising across the board um so i will say at the very least it's been very entertaining okay but I'm, I'm I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask Justin this question. The thing I've seen on social media is, and the sentiment I'm getting that is that this is the best World Cup ever. Justin, I'm going to uh, make sure that you don't have recency bias. Uh, can you think about about what that means, and can you can you tell us from your point of view what you think is the best World Cup ever. Do you think this is it? Uh, even though we're still, we've not even played the quarterfinals yet. Um, I think every World Cup, honestly, every four years, I mean, it's the the event that we all look forward to as football fans. And every World Cup has its own storylines, its own things that make it memorable and unique. So I don't know if I'd say this is the the best one. I I actually, I mean, I appreciate the chaos factor behind this one. That much I do like. I like the upsets. I like um, not really at this point in the tournament, like, you know, even though there are still some heavy hitters left in in the quarterfinals, 
Uh, a lot of them are facing off against each other this early in the round, uh, this early in the in the knockout phase. So um, you don't really know what's going to happen. And we'll talk about that when we get to making our predictions. Um, and I think that's all great. And there's also some surprises, obviously. And we'll talk about those as well. And I, I have enjoyed all that. Um, for me personally, like, I think it is probably 2010 South Africa. That's particularly memorable. I think it was just because it was the first world cup to take place on the continent. Um, it was the year of the Vuvuzela, the atmosphere watching the games was like so electric. It was also the year of the Jabulani. Uh, Adidas soccer ball, which was a menace to defenses and, and to goalies. And if you remember that ball that like would dip wildly and like be swinging over the place. And for a period of time, we all thought that Diego Forlan was like a magic man because he could, he figured out how to hit that ball and like make it swerve around defenders and knuckleball in a way that the goalies couldn't predict. Uh, it was just fun. And also, Justin, just to add to that, how could you forget the best part of that World Cup? The best World Cup song in the history of World Cup songs. Come on, man. That's right. The Waka Waka. Come waka on. Waka Waka. How can you not? You, you should have just started off with the Waka Waka. That's, that's right. All you I have mean, to say. The, no, no more needs to be said. That's that's exactly right, man. Yeah, Waka Waka by Shakira. It's the, the yeah. It's great. It was just the whole vibes of that World Cup were just like I, I thought it was great. So that's the one that sticks in my mind personally. Okay, well, I would say, of course, I, I understand the uh, the chaos factor, like you said, uh, has been very entertaining. Uh, I, I do agree that I think for me the best part of the World Cup is realizing that the World Cup ball um, is so high tech that it needs to be charged um, and uh, and has like a, a six hour active usage. Um, and in my head, I'm just thinking. What happens if they forget to charge it? Does the game just stop, or, or like, I mean, it must be somebody's job to actually take care of that. So it, it's really interesting to see how far we've come, and this is how we've been. You know, this is how we're now playing the the game where we have to charge the ball. Um, and of course, I think the reason why we're doing that is for the automated offside, which for me, it's been tremendous. Again, just love all the high tech around the World Cup, and and that's. For me, I think the future is going to be awesome uh, with with this game. Some yeah. people may not like that. I know that. But. I I actually I think that's a great point. I think the technology that's gone into um, enforcing the laws of the game, particularly offsides rules, um, has been tremendous. I think the the way the referees are actually accurately applying added time at the end of halves is phenomenal. I pray that that gets carried over to domestic leagues um after the world cup is over it's it's just amazing having like not like time wasting has been like nullified right because they're adding all that extra time onto the end and i think the refereeing in general has been pretty good with a few notable exceptions um <clears throat> anthony taylor uh but like there's like been, i think the refereeing actually has been on the whole pretty good and thankfully um the the concerns that some of us had, like Manny, you had alluded to about whether the referees are going to be putting their fingers on the scale, have not come to fruition, which has been nice to see. This has seemed to be a very yes. clean and yes. yet. <laughs> sure, we should caveat, of course, yet. It's been nice. Manny, Manny you, sh you shook your head when, when um, Justin was talking about the uh, whole... Um, you know, just how things have been going on with the World Cup. 
Yeah, I feel like this is like a catch-22, if you will, just because of the scrutiny that this World Cup has been under, right? Like, this World Cup is by far the one that's been under the microscope the most or in more recent times. So I feel like the last thing that they want is to have a blatant scandal of referees doing things or calling, you know, favoring, favoritism, right? So that we so often see in domestic leagues per se, specifically with certain referees, right, when certain teams play. So I feel like they've done a really good job of kind of, like Justin said, nullifying those things as to not have, you know, one more scandal or one more talking point added to this World Cup, right? So, but again, you know, this is, there's plenty more football to be played. And I feel like the more important and the bigger matches are yet to come. So we'll see what happens in those matches. Um, and if there are any type of quote unquote controversial calls to be made. Yep. Sounds good. So let, let why don't we just dive right in and talk about the, the first game? Um, I, well, not the, well, yeah, I guess the first game or the second game of, the Friday um, of the quarterfinals, uh, the Netherlands and Argentina game. Um, I think, uh, you know, before we, I remember the last episode we recorded when we talked about Argentina, we had sort of alluded to the fact that everyone's hyping Argentina and we don't think they're that great. Given what we've seen now, you know, they lost to Saudi Arabia, um, then they, you know, they got their stuff together, they won their last three games. How do we feel about Argentina and then Argentina's chance in this game? And let's not even talk about Netherlands yet, but just Argentina as a country. How do we feel about how they've played so far? And, and Justin, I'm going to give you the floor on this one first. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think in our last episode or in the, um, in the when we were making our predictions about the group stage, I came out very strongly for Argentina. And I said, I think Argentina is going to win the whole thing. And it's because partially because I just want the narrative. I, I love the narrative of Messi winning a World Cup. Uh, but also, Argentina came into this tournament red hot. They are undefeated in like, whatever, 30, 33 matches or something like that. I can't remember the exact number, but like 30 plus matches. They had gone undefeated. Um, and what do they do? Lose, opening the match against uh, Saudi Arabia of all countries, which is a, obviously a Big, big deal. Kudos to Saudi Arabia, uh, their team, for for pulling out that win. Um, but obviously raised a lot of questions, threw a lot of doubt onto Argentina's chances. Um, since then, however, I think they have looked decent. They haven't been dominant in the way that some of the other teams that we're going to talk about, such as uh, Brazil, Portugal in the last match, uh, Ronaldo-less Portugal, um, have looked utterly dominant against good opponents but argentina has been pulling out the results they've looked pretty solid they won in the round of 16 against um upstart australia uh two to one but the scoreline i don't think really was actually that reflective of how that game was going like if you if you actually watch it argentina seemed to be in control pretty pretty much start to finish so um in terms of how they go from here, you know, they have a big game against Netherlands, and we'll talk about the Netherlands after this. But um, let's say Argentina wins on Friday. Uh, they have they're going to be facing off against presumably uh, Brazil, but also you know Croatia is also a great team, and that's when 
you know, you would, that's when they're they're going to flip from being the favorite, I think, to being the underdog, frankly, at that point in time. So we'll see what, what the, how they handle that. Right. Yeah, and and that's actually Manny. I'm going to move on to to Netherlands. Um, they've they've not lost a game in 18 games. Um, they look very interesting actually. Um, because I you know I think uh, I believe. Maybe they, I don't know if they tied one of their games, but it seems like they've won all their games so far. Um, and then in the game against Net, uh, the USA, it seemed pretty easy to just go through through that defense and <laughs> just, uh, it, it seemed pretty easy. Uh, I also do want to call out, this is the first time I heard about the player Gakpo. And I, I think, you know, he seems like the right person for them in the front lines. So just... My point of this of, of saying all of this, Manny, is just try to I'm trying to gauge how serious Netherlands is and, and are we are we maybe underestimating them um in the next game? Yeah, similar to I guess the way that Justin described Argentina, you know, in their form coming into this tournament. The same can be said about the Netherlands. Let's not forget that the Netherlands actually has a chip on their shoulder, something to prove this World Cup because they missed the last one, right? So, you know, they're coming in here with your favorite coach, uh, LBG, uh, Bori, and, you know, he has a, a very good, talented squad. And that squad also has um, a lot of depth that they can rely on. They can bring on different players. Um, I'm surprised you haven't heard of Gakpo. Uh, I guess it might be just the EPL teams because this guy was one of the hottest uh, uh, transfer, like, I guess, stories of the summer. Um, not just for this summer, but even starting from last summer, there's, you know, um, big clubs uh, in in the EPL were actually after him um, at that time. I think it was like Southampton. And if there's one thing that you know about the EPL is if, Southampton has identified either Southampton or Leicester City has identified a prospect, and that means that that guy's value is going to exponentially increase within the next two, three seasons. And that's exactly what's happening with Cody Gakpo. Um, sad to say, Southampton is no longer in the running for Cody Gakpo uh, <laughs> going forward, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to a top six EPL club. And he goes for, you know, a lot of money. Um, having said that, it's kind of refreshing to see the type of football that the Netherlands is playing because what we saw before and part of the criticism to how and why they missed out on the last World Cup was the way that they played was too defensive um, and it was too kind of cautious. Like they didn't uh, take any chances and didn't attack that's contrary to what we've been seeing with the Netherlands in this tournament. Um, you know, I feel like they haven't even hit, you know, they're, they're, they're like, they have an extra gear left is what I'm trying to say. I feel like with the U S yes, they, they beat them very soundly, but even in the group stage, I don't think I, I never saw a time where they were seriously under threat. Um, I can't even remember if they were ever even, chasing a a game now that now that i think about it in their group stage um yeah i don't think so yeah like they just yeah like they they i feel like they've been in cruise control the entire time having said that argentina 
will definitely be, I think, their first major, no offense to the U.S. men's national team, but this will be their first major challenge in this tournament. Um, And I am more confident in the way that the Netherlands is playing versus the way that Argentina is playing because as uh, Justin mentioned, the games, they've been, you know, the only true game that I saw where Argentina looked the dominant force that they can be was against Poland. And even then, that game, they had moments where they started off where they seemed very shaky and it was a very rocky start. If not, I, I think for like the possession base that they started to, um, implo- uh, I guess, impose on the team and in that game, Australia had more chances than Poland actually did, um, which is crazy to say, if you think about it, right? Because Poland, with Lewandowski leading that line, you would have thought that he would have had a myriad of chances, but Australia actually had way more chances than than, than Poland did. Um, I think that the Netherlands is not, I think they're underrated. I think that they were the dark horse in this or they can be the dark horse. I don't know how much of a dark horse right. they can be getting this far, but I feel like nobody was talking about the Netherlands before you know, they made it this far. Mm. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think Morocco, Morocco will have to be the dark horse at this point. Let's, let's be honest. No, nah, that's just a Cinderella story. That's a completely yeah. different. That's yeah. completely different. We'll get to that. Um, well, so, sounds good. I think, um, you know, uh, so now, so let's, let's just try to get into how we can... Then, either analyze this game or give our predictions because from my point of view the way i see things argentina has actually disappointed me if i'm being honest they don't look very lethal uh you know i, I don't know what it is i think their defense is so bad if i'm being honest um and, and looking at the way that netherlands play with their wing backs i feel like that's where they would get destroyed and if you look at look at the game against uh, the usa uh denzel dumfries who i make fun of um was just tearing apart he had like three goal contributions and even scored one of the goals um so i think this is this is going to be an issue for argentina in that width and being able to like you know messi can take the middle right uh well depends he's been losing possession a lot but like assuming let's just say messi can kind of man the middle and and keep the possession in the middle they will argentina will need to find people that would man mark all the the wing backs and and Denzel Dumfries is, is is like the right person to play that sort of wing back role because he does it every day for Inter, right? Um, and so like he's very effective at, at that role. Um, although I think in his previous games he wasn't as good. And this last game maybe it was just maybe they played it, you know the USA when they were not the, at their best. But my point is I do worry for um, I've, I do worry for Argentina and I think like I think they they have serious homework to do. Uh, for Friday, which is why for me it's very hard to to make this prediction uh, that I'm going to make. So, so that said, um, do do I, do any of you want to start and, and make a prediction about what's going to happen right. on Friday? Yeah. So the thing here is with Argentina, up until now, their opposition has tended to play defense first, right? Bunker mentality. And that has nullified Argentina to a, a, a decent extent. I mean, like, so like Manny said, they, they beat Poland um, and they look pretty good there. They beat 
Mexico. And honestly, in the second half, they looked like, you know, Mexico, like literally looked like they weren't even interested in even attempting to score. And Argentina were eventually able to pick them apart. Though it took a lot of time. They didn't score until like, whatever, like 65th minute or something. Um, Australia came to play a little bit, but obviously, you know, they, they know they can't match up head to head. So they were defense first. Um, with the Netherlands, I don't know. I think this has the potential to be a very exciting match. And usually when we predict, like, you know, it's going to be a high-scoring, high-octane affair, it typically isn't. But, like, it seems like on paper, you know, Netherlands has also faced this up until now. Teams playing probably defense first, with the exception of perhaps of Senegal um, in the group stage. So, like, these are two teams that like to play on their front foot. They obviously, all their talent, the majority of their talent is on the forward line. Netherlands, you could argue, has the better defense on paper. Um, but they both are going to be looking to score. And if neither of these teams is playing, if neither of these teams is playing with a bunker mentality, if both of them are looking to get on the scoreboard first, looking to control the ball, um, not wanting to seed possession, wanting to play in the opposition half, then we may have like a, a cracker of a match. And I, I don't actually know who comes out on top. Um, in that scenario, I think maybe that, that it should play, I think, to Argentina's um, strengths, but you never know, you, you know, like with, with the, because of the bench, the, what you said, Bori, with like the wing play and how um, Argentina's wingbacks particularly like look not so strong where that's going to like devastate them. But in spite of all that, because I'm a messy fan, because it was my original prediction and because it's what I really, truly want, I'm going to say Argentina wins the match. All right. In a high well, a high scoring affair. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go give my before we give Manny. Um so I think I, I'm not sure what's gonna happen, but I, I do think it's gonna be a two two draw and um penalties. And I, I don't know what's gonna happen after that. My my only thing is that my only request is that Messi should not play any of the penalties because he's going to miss. I, I genuinely think that this is not Messi's this is Messi's he's, like worst weak point. Like, you put the ball, like he, put, put the ball 25 yards out. He'll take it every score. It's he'll score it every time. But you put it on the penalty spot. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. he's struggling. He's he's much better at free yeah. kicks. So I, you know. Exactly, exactly. But but yeah, so that's that's my prediction. And I think um and and one thing I wanted to mention real quick is I know uh, let's not forget Di Maria, um, played under Louis Louis Van Gaal and I think they didn't have a great relationship. Um, so it will be interesting to see if that fires him up for, for for Friday. And I think he will probably start. I think he had an injury the last game, but I think he will probably start uh, in, in this game. I think Di Maria could be key because he has a vendetta, essentially. Um, Manny, how about you? I am not here for romantic sake. Argentina is not. I called it from the very beginning, uh, you know, that Argentina was gonna go out. I think that I, I'm pretty sure I said quarterfinals. So this is my, this is where I, I prove myself. Having said that, I I can't go against the Netherlands. The Netherlands, like I said, I think comes in with having that chip on their shoulder of nobody thinking or giving them a chance, right? Like nobody was talking about them. Everybody was saying either Korea, or one of the African countries, perhaps. Um, Senegal pre-Mane would have been uh, pre-Mane injury was a dark horse or Denmark or Belgium 
you know, look at all those countries. They're gone, right? Nobody gave uh, Netherlands a second thought. And I think that, you know, we've seen, like I said, they've kind of been on cruise control the entire time. Now, one thing that I do want to call out is kind of the way that you guys are talking about tactics and the way that Argentina is going to set up. I'm still not convinced. So two points. I'm still not convinced, Bori, that Di Maria even starts this game because they've been... That's one thing that I've noticed about Argentina is they have not had a a consistent, stable lineup in in the games. Like they've always been changing, you know, two, three, four players. Um, start one one game and then the next the next game it's like a different players. Um, so they I think they're still trying to figure out what their best lineup is versus the Netherlands have been very consistent in how they're playing and what type of style of football they're bringing. And I would argue that. If the game opens up and they want to, and Argentina wants to play less position based, I think it might actually hinder them because, as Bori mentioned, on the wings, they just can't match uh, with the speed man for man with what the Netherlands has. You know. Um, well, I think. I mean, and, so I I think that's why they will play. I think I think the Argentina will actually play four two three one, the, and the, those three front. You know, three that play uh, right behind the the striker. I think Di Maria has played in that position for, especially when it was at uh, you know at PSG essentially, and he's able to come back and defend. And because also like I think they need players that can take people on. And who's the player that can take people on, right? Um, we're talking about Di Maria. We're talking about Messi. So I think it's very key because you t- you're talking about Nathan Ake, Van Dijk, uh, Timber, Dumfries, Blind, like defensive like what are you gonna do like chip the ball in and try to hit it no so they're gonna have to like take people on and that's why i think i think uh, of course i don't know but i think Di maria will, will need to start in this game to take all these players on and and hopefully beat them and then just cross the ball you know to whoever will be in the center um i don't see how else they could play because that defense just looks solid you know so Right. No, I, I agree. I just think that coming into this game as well, the the players that we were expecting to do well for Argentina are not stepping up. They're not pulling their weight. Whereas with the Netherlands, it seems like one player can miss and another player comes in and you can just replace them um, position for position and they'll still make an impact on on the game they'll still contribute and so Mm -hmm. i think that in that sense because the netherlands also plays a similar style where they play like a three uh, whether it's a three four one two or a three four three they're playing three at the back right they're playing the wings uh, uh as well um but i feel like in the center of the part of the pitch I feel like it's more, I wouldn't say there's more quality for the Netherlands, but I feel like they are playing, they're all on the same page as far as how they play. Versus with Argentina, I've seen a lot of times there's, uh, whether it's Paredes, whether it's DePaul, uh, whether it's, um, what what's um, the guy that's... Uh, McAllister. Oh, McAllister or Fernandez, Enzo Fernandez. Yep. Right. I love 
Enzo. Like they, they, they're all like swapping and trying to find out what, like, again, it comes down to the formation. I feel like they're still, Argentina is still trying to figure out what their best formation is, what their best lineup is. So that's why I mentioned that I don't even know if Di Maria will start because everybody was expecting right. Di Maria would start against Australia and then he didn't. It was a Papu Gomez who, who got put in there. All right. So, yeah. Yeah, they keep yeah. on putting DePaul in though, and I honestly, the, I don't. Well, I don't DePaul's in there. DePaul's in there to protect Messi. That, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the moniker, whatever. He's on enough guard. pitch. Yeah, but this dude. Yeah, DePaul's this dude can't there. play a ball. This dude can't pass, man. Like I've been watching him, and like he's DePaul? like, I, yeah, he plays. He misplays passes all the time. It feels like, or he missed uh, maybe his first touch also is like a rather poor yeah. combination of the two. Look, De, but, DePaul um, is. You know, yeah. in hockey, the, the, in hockey, there's always an enforcer, like a designated right. enforcer. That's DePaul, right? He's <laughs> he's in there in case somebody comes in on a hard foul with Messi or someone gets in Messi's face. He's in there to make sure that nobody gets, you know, within breathing space of Messi. That that's what DePaul's job is, right? All right, all right. Let's let's move on. Let's move on. I, I think, <laughs> I, I, you know, we I had think fun with this one. Right. It's it's we got like I have said, seen a worrying trend of like argentina looks like they're reverting back to their old habits their bad ways that they've been following for the past whatever 15 20 years of games not going well just get the ball to Messi. that's all we're gonna do the, the game strategy just reverts back to get the ball to Messi. get the ball to Messi. and Messi can't do it all on his own um he's the goat but he can't do it all on his own and i have noticed a little concerningly that that seems to be like Argentina has not been able to kick that habit. They're sort of reverting back to their old ways when they can't break down the uh, the opponent's defense. So if that happens against North Netherlands, they're toast. Yeah. Well, Agreed. well, let's move on. Let's move on to the next game, um, and, and that's Croatia Brazil. Um, and you all are gonna kill me for saying this, but um, of course I'm not gonna, I'm not going to my prediction. But I look at where Brazil has come from, right? By the way, I think so far they look like the most serious team uh, to win this tournament. But I also consider their opponents, right? Who they played with. They played with Serbia. You know, I hype Serbia. But when you look at them as a team, they looked like rubbish. Um, Switzerland, I'm not even going to talk about them. They lost to Cameroon. I'm not really going to count that against them because they can't, you know, they, they already qualified, so they shuffled things a lot. And then they play South Korea. So it's like, I can't tell if Brazil is actually good and i think this would be the first test for them although i think croatia is also not a huge test because let's not forget croatia's last game uh, i think was what japan or something um they didn't they did it was a it was a tie uh, and it was they won on penalties um and i don't think i don't i don't i don't think croatia is a huge test for them so i think brazil has gotten that. far for them, went uh, far because of the opponents. It's my, but that doesn't mean they can't beat the big guns. I just feel like I've not really seen a huge test for them, and and I don't think this is a huge test for them. So maybe that, you know, kind of tells you what my prediction will be. Um, but any any thoughts about what I just said? What a difference a couple of weeks makes. On paper, we thought this group was going to be difficult, right? We we were hyping up Switzerland. We were hyping up Serbia. We didn't discount. South Korea, like on, like we thought that this is a, uh, was going to be a Cameroon, great group. Cameroon. Oh, Cameroon. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But like, I, I, okay. Switzerland is a good team. 
they got I don't know what the hell happened against uh Portugal right in the round of 16 we'll get to that but like uh otherwise like they're a great team Serbia is a strong team uh Brazil has been rolling like you said boring I don't think it could be totally attributed to their opponents and also to dispute the the second point you made like Croatia I can understand what you're saying but like you know they have a lot of older players um they struggle against Japan, although Japan has had a great had a great tournament. Um, Croatia's got that dog in them. Croatia never gives up. They're always they, they are the hardest fighting like national team. I I don't know, may, perhaps I've ever seen in uh, my 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 lifetime of watching like national teams. Like they they're just like uh, international play. Like they're it's it's amazing how much they just they just keep on coming at you and they like never give up. They just they they there's some intangibles that go into this game, and heart and fight is one of them. And for Croatia, like that's like the part that's admirable about them. That's what took them to the final last time out, right? When they were the Cinderella story. And uh, I don't think that they're this is this is they have a golden generation of their own, and they're not going out without a fight. So I I don't think this is going to be easy for Brazil at all. Although. Although I also think Brazil is like the best team in the tournament. Right, right, right. I think I think at this point, yeah, I I think it looks like they are. Um, many, I I would love to hear your thoughts about uh, any of this before we go into uh, um, predictions. Um, Brazil was my take to win the whole thing, um, and I still believe that they will end up winning the whole tournament. Um, having said that, I I. I'm surprised that you guys are saying that that great that the other teams haven't been a challenge, so to speak. When I think that what we've seen in this in this World Cup is that anything can happen at any given point, right? You know, with 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 just upsets coming left and right. Um, I still believe, though, even with the injuries that Brazil has sustained, because it's going into the tournament. You know, they've lost some major pieces to what was originally that um, starting lineup. You know, uh, surprised Justin didn't mention Arsenal seasons about a tank with the one Gabriel Jesus uh, being essentially out not only of the tournament, but his season could be over uh, with what's being uh, called, uh, I think, some ligament. Uh, I think he tore his ligaments in his knee. Right. So he's essentially done. The season's over. Um, and then on top of that, I believe they've also had notable injuries on defense. Um, Alexandro, I think Tellez, Alex Tellez. So they are running thin um, in certain positions. But having said that, even with all of that going on, that, that the squad, the caliber of the players that they have, the way that they're playing, they are the most, I guess, fun team to watch. They're just so fluid with everything that they're doing. Um, they didn't even need Neymar, honestly. Like, Neymar got injured in that first game, and then everyone started to panic a little bit and say, okay, well, you know, Neymar's an integral part of the team. They didn't even show that they needed him because they have a bunch of upcoming talent that can just step right in. Um, Croatia was one that we talked about as well when we compared Croatia to some of the other teams that had a Belgium, for example, which had 
immense talent and world uh, class talent, but they're all aging stars, right? You know, they're on the decline. And this past game against Japan really showed, I guess, the the, the I guess how great the disparity is between the world class talent of a Modric and some of those older um, players and some of the younger players. Like, I, I think there's the gap is just too enormous for the likes of of Brazil. And you could argue that they even got lucky in in penalty kicks against Japan because if Japan had better PK takers or had taken better penalty kicks, then it would have been the other way around, right? They wouldn't even have made it this far. Um, I was surprised that that game even went to extra time. Like, it just felt like, like they would... Croatia was, I guess, so frustrating to watch after having eliminated Belgium. They were just so frustrating to watch. And I don't know if it's like one of those things where, remember, in the previous World Cup, they literally played what felt like every game was extra time. Extra time. Every single game. Yep. And these players are all four years older. There's no way they can do that. There's mm-hmm. no way they're going to be able to yeah. do all that. Yeah. And Mentality so, monsters, man. They just, they I, just, they don't I break. Agree. I agree, but at the same time, I think, you know, all good things come to an end. And I think the golden generation of Croatia will come to an end against Brazil uh, this weekend as well. Uh, I think you hit on the big, you hit on the key point, Manny, which is with, you know, what's the difference between the 7-1, you know, humiliation eight years ago and today? And I would say the big one is, is the the role of Neymar competence right? number nine? Richarlison, maybe it's also Richarlison. I agree. Richarlison has hit this is probably the peak of Richarlison's career, you know, like he, he's like he is in top form and he's gonna, like, you know, I'm a little bit nervous being a Spurs player, like what this is gonna mean when he goes back to when we get well, the let's, let's, let's again, not but. get ahead of ourselves, let's not get ahead of ourselves. He's look, he's great. He's looking great. And like I said, like what I, what I was getting at though, Manny, it's like the point that you raised where Neymar has been integral, where Brazil has kind of been lost in the woods for a, like, you know, over a decade previous to this tournament where they kind of, you know, the free flowing Jogo Bonito, like all that has been a little bit lost. They haven't been able to click as a team. The whole, the whole concept of Brazil is like, they're just having fun. The whole team is flowing. Everybody's like overlapping. Everyone's getting involved in attack. Um, that they've lost that, and they start to go like we were talking about, like Messi and like Argentina, like get the ball to Neymar, get the ball to Neymar, and very like static and like not not looking great offensively, uh, despite their talent on paper. But like now, they're fun. The the game is back. They're having a lot of fun, and they are the team. It's 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 Brazil, right? Every member of their squad all 26 players that they brought to the world cup has played at this point yeah right? yes, yes first yep. time ever. even the keepers yeah, yeah. Even, even the, the 34 year old keeper and they're they all have huge smiles on their faces they're, they 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 are having and that's danger like if the other team is having fun it's bad news for the opponent right and and speaking about fun and let's wrap this up quickly but uh many i think you you were something here where there's been talks in the media about is is the celebration too much? The dancing, the the whatnot. Um, 
I don't know why people are, care about this. Like, I don't know why this is such a big deal. Like, let them dance. Okay, maybe they're taking time, but hey, like we said earlier in the episode, they're putting that time back. I actually personally enjoy the way they are actually celebrating. Um, and and to Justin's point again, he's like, they are having fun, which is actually something I didn't I didn't realize until you said that, Justin. That that's actually very dangerous if they're having fun because yeah. they don't have any fear and they're just like playing. Right. Um, and that's that's actually a very <laughs> interesting point that I didn't think about. What's what's the dance move you what's your default dance move when you score, Bori? Oh, I, I've never scored. So <laughs> that's true. I was going to say, Justin, you should know that. But I want to, I, I, you know, to wrap it up, I, I agree with you guys. I, I just put the, the question there, the celebration, because I heard one. Mr. Keene come out and and talk about how oh, it was disrespectful and whatnot <laughs> but if you know if anybody knows anything about brazilian culture and brazilians in general it's they're born knowing to do two things one is juggling a, a football so knowing how to juggle and two is dancing samba every brazilian is born knowing how to do those two things so for them it's part of the culture. It's part of. The, it's infused into the game. It is what it is. They're very lively, happy people that you know that just live life to the fullest, and you're seeing it. And um, one thing to note, I think, which is an extra motivator on top of all this, is possibly the goat to many people. One Pele right. is yeah. not doing so well health wise, and I think. It comes to the minds of all those players in that locker room. Why? What better way or what better gift to give the GOAT, right? Arguably the GOAT, or at least the GOAT to Brazilians, than to reward him with a World Cup, right? So I think yeah, as if they didn't sense. need any more ex- motivation, we talk about, you know, humanity um, in these moments, right? uh of 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 sport and and kind of how that is an extra motivator and how it can impact those players what more motivation do they need than to actually say all right let's do this not only just for us but to an icon of the sport and our country so yeah yeah great great really good point also if you notice at the last match like they have a lot of legends of the game there watching and like cheering on the team from like whatever luxury boxes where they can probably get alcohol and then also uh going down into the locker room and like seeing these players it means a lot to these players like you know r9 is there roberto carlos uh rivaldo yeah rivaldo's there um and it means a lot to these players i mean i think um yeah richarlison's like was brought to tears when r9 like was like congratulating him after the game so there's it's a great point manny like yeah and plus the pele what's going on it's a lot of the whole it feels like there's there's the stars aligning. Yeah, yeah, like the stars, stars are aligning, aligning for 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 Brazil. So okay, so all three well, of, all three of us say Brazil then, right? Well, I was gonna ask you, Justin, because I know you're the crazy one out of three. Of right, us. right. <laughs> I, 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 and I go you Brazil. like to go against the grain, so uh, it's you know. true. It's true. Uh, it's been said, and I, I, I so I think Croatia's not. It's not gonna be Croatia's not gonna roll over and die. Like they, they refuse. It's gonna, it's gonna be a game. And it might even go to added time, but I think Brazil, like we said, the the, the stars are aligning. I 
if he goes to penalties, Brazil is out. That's all I will say. Yeah, they don't want that to happen. Yeah, don't that's let it get to that that's Croatia's bread and butter. Um, they did it four years ago where they were just winning all the penalty shutouts. And so Brazil needs to kill the game in the 90 minutes, not even extra time, because they will park the bus at that point. All right, uh, we've talked about the first two games, and uh, I think we're going to actually wrap it up here at this point and record a part two uh, where we'll go into the second, the two, the last two games of the quarterfinals. Uh, but as usual, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.